Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 96. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And today, this week, we're going to ask the question, answer the question, we'll ask it to, does the sequence of returns matter with investing? In other words, does it matter the order of your returns? Is it better to lose late or lose later? Um, they're not Okay, here's the thing. We'll cut to the, the chase and then we'll sort of explain it. If you're not contributing money or you're not taking money out, it actually doesn't matter the order of the returns. Believe it or not, you'll wind up with the same amount of assets at the end of the period. Doesn't matter. Not contributing money, not taking money out. You can mix and match, you know, re, uh, refigure the, you know, the, the order of the returns, let's say, and we'll show, uh, we're going to do about 15 years of returns here. Let's say you took the, the last 15 years of the S&P and you, you uh, sorted them from best to worst, worst to first, not taking money out, not putting money in, does not matter. You're going to wind up with the same amount. Where it actually starts to matter, though, is, well, there's a couple, couple things here. One is uh, depending upon what phase you're in, and especially as you start to withdraw money, it can be pretty striking, the differences. So first, let's, let's think about for this exercise, what I did was I kind of looked back and I said, okay, let's, let's look back at the returns and we'll go back to, let's see, 2005, and this is going to be the the total return, including dividends, and it's going to assume, obviously, that you, I shouldn't say obviously, but we'll, we'll assume that you're going to reinvest the dividends back into more shares, let's say, the SPY or, you know, something like that. So we start in 2005, and we're going to go all the way to 2019, and so that's 15 years of returns. Why 15? I just kind of the, the way we did it. And I wanted to make sure that we had uh, 2008 in there because that's a, a bad year. And okay, so we take a look at uh, at these returns and all right, they're, they're pretty good. The simple average is about 10.37%. The compounded annual growth rate is roughly 8.9%. And remember the simple average is you just take all the returns, divide by the number of years, which is 15 but the reality is that you have compounding effects, you have different effects like that. And so the compounded annual growth rate is usually it's lower. And that's, you know, you get a return, now you have a new amount of money, now you get a return, new amount of money, right? So um, about that. So if we, if we took those and to just kind of give you an idea what these returns look like, I mentioned 2008. 2008, the total return was down about 36.5%. Not a great year, obviously. But most of the years, with the exception of one other over the last 15, uh, not including 2020, of course, uh, not not closed yet. But 2018 was minus 4.23. So that was a down year. And then you actually had some really good years. You had a number of really good years. You had plus 32.15. That was 2013. 2019 was plus 31.22, uh, plus 25.94% in 2009. So just to kind of give you an idea, there are only two losing years in year. And this doesn't go all the way back to the 2000s, but uh, I think I did a, a podcast or maybe an article about uh, the, the returns by total returns by decade. 
And the compounded growth rate from, you know, 2000, 2009 was something like, I think it was flat uh, or slightly down, maybe down 1%. So what you would average on a, on a compounded basis each year it was about 13.3% from 2011 through uh, 2000 or two, 2010 through 2019. That's right. That's what it is. So what I did was I said, if let's say uh, you start out with a million dollars and all you did was invest in the S&P 500 and you, uh, you, know, you, you uh, reinvested the dividends that were in there. And of course, I'm not saying this is what you should or shouldn't do, right? But just a, part of it, the exercise. So you come through here and you say, you start with a million dollars and you'll start in 2005. And if you actually, if you had gotten those returns, reinvested the dividends, your million would grow to about, you know, 3,000 or 3,000, 3.6 million. All right, not bad, about 2.6 million in, in profit, right? And we're looking at historicals, not saying that's what you're going to get going forward. And again, the simple average uh, was a little over 10. The compounded growth rate was a little below nine, right? Remember, if you get it a little like 7.15% compounded growth rate average, uh, you get a double every 10 years. So then what I did was I said, what if we said, let's lose early? Meaning I sorted the returns and I sorted the returns to say, you know, worst to first. So 2008 would have been your first year. You would have lost 36.55%. Your million would go to 634,000 and change, right? And then you basically... Uh, started with the worst and then ended with the best. And same thing, you wind up with 3.6 million. The same exact thing if we didn't sort it. And by the way, I, I did the same thing, lose late. And lose late just means you start your first year, you re-sort these so that it's best to worst. And so you would start in 2013 gaining 32.15. Again, you wouldn't start in, th- in 2013, but you get what I'm saying. Of the 15 years of returns, the best is first, the worst is the last. And guess what? You wind up with about $3.6 million at the end of it. Now, I will say that there are differences in the balances. For example, the highest balance in lose early is your last year. The highest balance in lose late would have been, oh, I don't know. I mean, it would have gotten up to about $5.9 million. Uh, before coming back down to 3.6. So there is some nuances to this. The the balances certainly are different as they travel, but at the end point, it doesn't matter the sequence of the returns, uh, not not one bit. Um, and and I, I should caveat that. I mean, it, it, it matters um, from probably from an emotional level and it matters from, you know, somebody might say, well, if, if I had... 5.7, 5.8 million, I could have, you know, diversified, done different things. Yeah, okay, fair, fair enough. Uh, but certainly there's there's a, a difference in, um, in the stream of return. So where it starts to matter, though, is if you're going to take money out or, or if you're contributing a lot of money. So let's, let's start with the contribution standpoint. As I said, there's really, in my opinion, is three different phases for investors. And these are kind of a, a generalized way of looking at it. There's the contribution phase, and that's when an investor 
probably is, you know, putting money away, maybe they're dollar cost averaging, and they're looking to accumulate, uh, you know, balances and then have them grow over time. Now, for some people, and here, here's a little nuance on this too. So let's say you already have a million dollars and you're like, yeah, I'm going to put 10,000 extra a year in over the next 20 years. Okay. So that's a little different than if you're just, hey, I'm going to start investing. I'm going to put money in on a periodic systematic basis and I want to, I'm going to do it, you know, maybe I'll, I'll scale it up as I make more. Um, it, in a weird way, you quasi want the market not to go up. You want the market to remain low or go lower. And the reason is if you're putting money in, um, you know, let, let's say you were going to buy one share of, you had $100 and you were going to put $100 and buy, you know, a share of the SPY at $100. Okay. Just, just go with me here for a second on the, on the analogy. So you buy one share. Well, if the market dropped 50%, uh, well, that stock goes to 50, your same $100 buys two shares. And so in a weird way, if you're in the accumulation phase, the contribution phase, you actually are okay if the market's going down. Because in theory, you're you're getting more shares as your money goes in. But as I said, if if you're contributing, which is a really good idea, but you've already got a high base of money, that's that's sort of a different story. There's this middle phase that that I don't think a lot of people talk about enough. Usually you hear about, you know, the uh, the accumulation or contribution phase and then the withdrawal phase, which withdrawal phase, obviously, if you start taking money out of the account, get to retirement. But there's this really important phase in the middle, and I call it the, you know, you're maximizing your base or base maximization. And in that, it might be the 10 or 15 years prior to retirement. And this typically is when someone is going to be at their peak earning years. If you're peak earning years, hopefully you're able to put the most amount of money into uh, accounts during that period. But the thing is, I mean, let, let's just use a simple example. Let's say you've, you've saved, you've saved, accumulated, accumulated, and then 10 years before retirement, uh, let's say you have a million dollars going into that final 10 years. Well, if you get a period like 2000 to 2009, when you're pretty much flat on a total return basis, you still have a million. And a lot of you might say, well, that, that's still a really nice amount. And it is. But imagine you get, you know, the last decade where we, we averaged about uh, compounded growth rate 2010 through 2019 was about 13.3%. So then, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit shy of two doubles, but your 1 million would have turned into almost 3 million, right? Because if over 10 years, if you get 71 five-ish percent, uh, the rule of 72, you know, about seven, just call it, if you average 7.2%, you'll double in 10 years. If, if you average, you know, 14.4, you double and you double again. Um, so, so a million or 3 million versus a million and a million, um, that's quite a bit of difference. And that middle phase though, that base maximization phase, that's why I think that's that 10 or 15 years before retirement is really important. And what you get during those years might predicate how much you have to take out in the withdrawal phase. And then finally, we have the withdrawal phase. And this is, guess what? You're going to have to start withdrawing money from accounts. And you're going to do that 
to pay for living expenses. Maybe you're retiring. Maybe you're part of the fire movement and, you know, you've lived in a van for 10 years and uh, you you want to retire at, uh, you know, 35 and do withdrawals, whatever it is. But the withdrawal phase is the one where your your sequence of returns, I think, matters the most. And it's especially important, um, not only right before retirement, the the returns, you, know, you really don't want to lose a lot. You don't want to lose big. You want to have uh, hedges, protections, so that, you know, during that base maximization phase, things are, you know, you, want, you don't want to lose a lot of money going into retirement. But the withdrawal phase is probably, you know, right before retirement, but especially right after retirement. It's actually, those are some of the, you know, the riskiest years. And the reason why that is, is because uh, number one is if you're not working anymore, you're not contributing and, and certainly contributing large amounts during, as you were during your prime working years. But as you withdraw, if markets go down, not only are, are, is your balance is going down, but then you're also taking money out maybe at lower levels. And so here's where it actually does matter quite a bit. And what I did here is I said, okay, I'm going to give you some assumptions. Are these the right assumptions? You know, everyone's case would be different, right? But uh, what I said was you start with a million dollars and we have the same, we're going to do 15 years. And what I did was I analyzed it lose late versus lose early, right? So do you have the worst returns early or do you have the best returns early and the worst returns late, meaning lose late? So what I did was to, to make it an even amount, I said, we're going to start at a million. We're going to start with drawing 10% in the first year. Is, is 10% too high? It, it may be, right? Of course. But um, a lot of retirees wind up, in my experience, seeing they, they probably need more than they've, they've planned for. You know, things come up, air conditioners, uh, cars, the roof on a house, uh, medical stuff. So I know uh, just working with a lot of people, sometimes, you know, when you get the yellow pad out and you, you sketch out the budget and what you think you're going to need, it winds up being more. But anyway, it, it, this isn't the, the exercise was to, to optimize, you know, is it a 4% withdrawal rate? Is it a 3%? Um, I just did 10 because it's nice even. So the way this works is you say, okay, um, you had a million and then January 1st, first year of retirement, first year of withdrawal phase, you're going to take out 10% of a hundred grand, right? So right off the bat, your balance goes from a million to 900,000. All right. So what I did was I ran this and I said, in the lose late, what happens to the balances? And by the way, another caveat on here, I said each year, you're actually going to have to, uh, you're going to have to take out more money. In other words, if you took out $100,000 in year one, uh, that's not going to be enough if everything goes up in price. Now, we all know that inflation is very a, a personal thing, not like, not like a, a personal financial thing where you don't want to share your finances. It just means your f- inflation is going to be really different. And you, know, you might buy a lot of one thing or you, you might not buy anything else. And the way they do inflation, maybe we'll do a, a podcast about some of the challenges with how they do inflation. But um, 
So again, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, you need $100,000 in year one, you need $103,000 in year two, because you're, we're going to assume 3% inflation, all right? And then $106,000 and 90, $106,106,090. Why am I having trouble saying that? Um, and then, you know, in the year 15, you're going to need about 151300 bucks, right? You're going to need uh, that much. So it's, it's, it increases that. So the interesting thing about this, the lose late versus lose early. So not only are you, you know, taking, so give me an example. If you lose late, the, you would have the best year first. So your balance at the end of the year, you would be up 32%. You took out a hundred thousand, so it's a thirty-two percent on the remaining nine hundred thousand. You get about almost one point two million. In the lose early, where you lose almost thirty-seven percent in year one, uh, your balance would go down to five hundred seventy-one thousand. That's quite a bit of difference there. And so, the difference in so you follow that along, and the difference in the ending balance, you might say, well, it's it's not that different. I'll just give it to you. It's a Three million sixty nine thousand and change. Okay, is is the lose late? Um, but the lose early, you wind up with about two million six hundred thousand. You might say, well, that's that's not that different. But here's where it got really, really different and really interesting. Quick, uh, for example, in year five, uh, even yeah, I mean, even in year three, it's a difference of you know, $1.3 million difference between lose late, lose early. And, and remember, the assumptions are we're taking out 10% a year and we're increasing that by 3% each year. Okay, we're just going to withdraw. And lose early, we took the worst returns first. Lose late, we took the worst returns last, so the best returns first. And the spread on this, uh, in year 11, it was a difference of $3.7 million. In other words, in year 11... It was, I mean, it's quite staggering. Um, in the lose late, the balance would be about $4.8 million versus a little over a million dollars. I mean, that's $3.7 million in difference, right? Just in there. And, and again, I mean, I could look back and I could look at the, the order of returns in you know, not even taking out money. And we, we would see a difference in, in those balances too. Uh, but not quite as much as when you start taking money out. And the other thing that goes along with this, you know, while the the difference gets, uh, the difference winds up only being about five hundred thousand in year fifteen because you had the, you know, if you lost early, you have the best return to sort of you know catch up a little bit. But think about somebody's psyche. I mean, the difference, you know, you have a million dollars and you're like, well, I'm going to take a hundred thousand dollars out. A year, you know, when you get down to five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you're kind of being in year three. You're like, wait a second, I have to take more than a hundred thousand dollars out each and every year. I'm going to have to scale that back. And so, well, I, I didn't, you know, account for people making changes in their spending or having to downgrade their their lifestyle or something like that. Um, you know, a lot of people would probably get more conservative. They wouldn't have gotten the the later returns, and you know, the, just the 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 ease and the comfort of having those larger balances. So, it's it's uh, the exercise of this is um, I think a couple things. Number one is you should understand 
the phases of, of investors, the, the contrib- contribution, accumulation, that maximizing your base or base maximization, that 10 or 15 years pre-retirement, and then the withdrawal phase. The other thing is the sequence of returns actually don't matter unless you're withdrawing money or, if, you know, obviously if you're contributing money, right? Um, the sequence of returns can matter there. But especially when you're withdrawing money. And the other thing that I would say is that the difference in when you lose impacts the, the balance is quite a bit, okay? So what do you learn from this? I think the key takeaway here is, besides everything that I just said, is that if you're an investor and you're in, let's say, you're looking to maximize going into retirement or you're in retirement, you got to have some sort of downside protection on the assets. Uh, you have to have some sort of hedge on the assets that lets you continue to get growth and at the same time has some downside protection. So I think, I think that's the, the key takeaway because uh, someone, especially in the withdrawal phase, they can't really afford that much taking really, really big losses. And unfortunately, someone who is in that 10-year pre-retirement uh, also can't necessarily, you know, doesn't want to take really large losses. So you want, you want some sort of a buffer protection there. And so I've done every other episodes about alternatives, uh, about hedged equity strategies, about buffered equity strategies, and I'll, I'll link to those. We've done a few of those, and, and you might find those interesting as well. But uh, lose late or lose early, sequence of returns. Hopefully that uh, that will help you out. And uh, uh, we'll go from there. All right. Uh, rather than rating and reviewing, just go ahead and share this one. Uh, maybe other people have questions on this. This was a listener question, and I thought it was a good episode to do and sort of explain. So go ahead and share this. If you want to rate it five stars, that's fine as well. And also want to mention that the uh, the book, Broken Pie Chart, my book, uh, I noticed on Amazon. It looks like they have a, a special on it right now. So I'll put a link to, to the book as well. It's available on Kindle, hardback, uh, and the such. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.